Good morning, Crossing Church. Man, this is exciting. New building, being in a new place, not having to, oh, we got to paint walls. We're not done yet. We got a lot to do, but we're glad that we can be in here with you guys and worship and just be close. I was talking to Kelly when we walked in, like the intimacy here is just so different. We're so close and the introvert in me is excited and terrified at the same time. So (laughs) glad to be here with you guys. Uh, Before we get going, let me pray. God, we are uh, in love with you and just grateful that you carry us. Uh, You said some crazy things. We're going to talk about more of them today, and uh, we're just grateful that you said them so that we can talk about them and just see uh, how much you love us. Um, Even in the midst of our own demise, uh, you love us. And uh, just pray that your spirit would rest on us today, that you'd speak through me, that you would speak to our hearts, you'd speak to my heart. Uh, convict us and transform us by the power of your grace and love. Um, So it's in Jesus that we pray. Amen. All right. So today we're talking about perfection. What a fun word, right? One that we love to talk about. One that's very exciting. And I am a firstborn child. My mother was a firstborn child. So I'm a firstborn raised by a firstborn. So I am crazy. And uh, it's created this fun dichotomy in me where my mother forced all of this um, wonderful, crazy mentality in me where I want to be perfect at everything, but I also hate that I want to be perfect at everything. So I'm constantly rebelling against myself and these desires that I want to do. I want to be perfect, but I also just want to sit on the couch and do nothing. So it's created this war inside of me, and I, I laugh about it with my mom Um, Because every time she lectures me and tries to bring on this perfect mentality, I feel like my spider spider sense tingling. It's like, oh, here comes my mom again. Oh, it's going to be, okay, I love you. Okay, let's let's do this. And I make fun of her about it. And she she gets to the point where she can see it in me now. And she starts to apologize. BJ, I'm sorry. You're not going to want to hear this. But you need to, oh, there it goes. Perfect, right? You need to stop doing that. And that's my mom. She loves me, and she never stops, even though she knows that I despise her lectures. I'm 34, raising four kids, and she does it. Almost every time I see her, I still get the car lecture. BJ, don't drive too fast. BJ, be careful on the road. It's raining. 34, Mom, I've been driving in the rain. I live in Florida. I mean, come on. If you haven't driven in the rain in Florida, you haven't been here long. But when we really talk about perfection, especially as parents, um, as people trying to survive in this world, we can get lost in a rat race in America where we have to be the perfect family. We have to be the perfect husband and wife. We have to be the perfect kid. We have to do all the right things. And it can become really overwhelming. As a seventh grade language arts teacher, I watch it all the time. And these kids, this pressure that these parents put on these kids, and it's not bad to get straight A's, not at all. Um, but I can see it crushing some of these kids, uh, all of the different things that they have to do. Like I've talked to kids um, about their grades before, like, why are you getting a C or, or something like that? And they're, I got baseball, Mr. Meadows. I can't do my homework right now. And they just got all of these things going on. And it's the same way as parents. It doesn't change. Like we just have different things that war against these, this passion, these desires in us. Um, in Christianity, it can become... Uh, a religion where it's about how I look, about how I behave, about what I think. Um, I was raised, I love Fruit Cove Baptist Church. It's just right across the road from us. It's what I went to. 
uh, when I was a kid, and I love it. Um, but you had to wear khaki pants, and you had to wear a collared shirt, and I absolutely hated it. I absolutely hated wearing collared shirts to the point now where I do it now because I love you guys. But if <laughs> I, uh, I've always said, if they're not paying me, I'm not wearing a collared shirt. <laughs> so I love you, Jonathan. <laughs> um, but it, it becomes all about how we behave, about how we appear. It's, it's not real. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Ironically enough, we're going to talk about being perfect. And it's, I think there's a lot of grace in what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to jump in to Matthew 5.48. And um, the title is Perfection today. Um, Matthew 5.48. It says, You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's a really challenging verse. And I'll be honest with you, when I've read this in the past, I want to speed through it as fast as I can. Because that idea, going off of just the American ideology that I think we're kind of raised with, that's terrifying. Because I can't do that. I can't be perfect. I feel guilty. I feel inadequate. I feel uncomfortable, so I skipped through it. But when I went back, and it's funny, I feel like I learn more when I get ready to preach because I'm digging into everything and seeing stuff that I've never seen before. There is a lot of grace in this verse. And I think in order to see it, the context is key here. Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and the people that he's talking to are Pharisees. The Pharisees are perfectionist idealists. They want everything to be perfect to the point where they've lined up in their, their faith rules, regulations, ways to behave, ways to believe the right things, and uh, everything's driven by purity rites, purity rituals, holiness, vows, and things that they, they take on themselves so that they can have the appearance of holiness. And Jesus is going through the Sermon on the Mount. Jonathan talked about some of it last week. And he's just laying into their perfectionist ideals. You've lusted after a woman, good job. You've committed adultery. You're not perfect. You've um, hated somebody, you've killed them. And he ends it right before this. He's talking about loving your enemies. Those are all things that we can't morally do perfectly. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach them is you're not perfect. This idea that you think that you've created this holiness idea is you can't do it. You're not doing it. So that's the entire kind of purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is he's unpacking how wrong and how broken we all are. So it doesn't make any sense for Jesus to get done talking about how broken we are to say, now you have to be perfect. It doesn't fit with what he's been trying to communicate to these people. It doesn't fit to say you need to be perfect after he just said you're not perfect. We, we can't meet that demand. So if you, I, I went back and looked at what the word perfect is. It's teleos. I, don't, I may not be pronouncing it right. It's been a long time since I took Greek. But teleos is a Greek word that's most often translated as perfect. But the, the cool thing is, is it has different denotations, different meanings. And it can mean mature or complete. And if you look at the rest of the New Testament, oftentimes they use those two words more than they use the word perfect, to be mature or to be complete. And that's what Jesus is calling us to, is to be completed by God. 
to like a creation that he has created, like Paul talks in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, like we're a new creation. He's remaking us into something, and that's what he wants us to become, is to be created like God. Um, it's not moral in nature. It's a heart change. It's uh, to be the perfect creation like that he wanted us to be. And it kind of has ideas of going back to like the image of God, back in the Garden of Eden, how we're created in the image of God to represent him, to be like him, to show people who he is, his, represent his glory, his majesty, his love. And we, at, in the Garden of Eden, broke that. We break that every day when we sin and do stupid stuff. I do that. But that's what God is calling us to be. It's to be recreated, to be completed by God, to go back to the way we were designed to be, um, to represent him, um, to be brought to maturity. So what we're going to do now is kind of take this idea of what does it mean to be completed by God, and we're going to kind of go through some of those verses in the New Testament where they use that word teleos. Um, so we're going to start at Philippians 3, 12 through 15. We're going to see how Paul picks up this idea, how James picks up this idea, and kind of what they, what they do. So Paul says in Philippians 3, 12 through 15, and it's on the screens, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature, and that's the word, think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So Paul is sitting here and he's talking to them about how he wants them to be mature, to think like this. Um, and if you look at what Paul is really talking about is he wants us to be united with Christ. That's what it means to be completed by him is we are with him. We are like him and there's no separation. We are 100% united with him. A mature Christian isn't somebody who's morally perfect. Paul's talking about somebody who's united with Christ. And he presses on into that so that he can be more united with Christ. That's awesome. <laughs> it's somebody who's fixated on Jesus, who's fixated on his return, on what he is doing. It's forgetting what lies behind all of the stupid stuff. Like, that is grace. All of the dumb things we've ever done. It's forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Not the mistakes that you're going to make today and tomorrow, but towards what Jesus is going to do in the future, in the moment, with us, here today, and forever. That's glory. That's grace. It's our sanctification. It's this process of the Holy Spirit changing and transforming our lives. It's not a moral right that we have to accomplish. It's grace living in us. It's moving us through His Spirit. And it's a daily struggle, and that is good news, too, because Paul says he presses on. It's a continuous thing that he's doing daily. It's not I pressed on. It's I'm, I'm pressing on. I'm pushing into it. It's something that we, we do as we draw near to God, and he does all of the heavy lifting. It's not put your boots on and get to work. It's get closer to Jesus, and he transforms us. It's kind of like we live in a cocoon on earth. 
And as we're in that cocoon, he's shaping us and transforming us. And when we meet Jesus face to face, we get to become butterflies. We get to become the image of God that we were meant to be. Um, So we're living in this continuous process of pressing on, pressing into him. And that's what Paul says a mature Christian thinks this way, is to forget what lies behind and press on towards what lies ahead. And that word teleos is mature. Um, So that's what he wants is us to be perfect, completed as mature Christians. You see this in James 1.4. give you a second to flip over there. Or your phone Bible, whichever one is cool. James says, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And I love what James says here because he qualifies it. He helps us understand what he means by perfect because he says complete after. Um, It's being steadfast, holding firm to the faith that we have been given that the Holy Spirit has instilled on us. And as we hold fast to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit, he is transforming us and making us perfect, mature, complete, so that we lack nothing. That's lacking nothing is Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Those are the things that we need in life. And those are the things that the Spirit is giving us. Uh, Steadfastness, having its full effect. You may be perfect and complete. Holding on through the tough times. Nothing in in this life is easy. If you're in an easy moment, just wait, it's coming. Something is going to happen. COVID, I mean, who knows? Round two, God, I hope not. But you you just never know. Like, But holding on to Jesus, that's what we do know. We do know that Jesus is our ever-present help in a time of trouble, that he hasn't given up on us, and he is going to finish it. He's going to complete it. So all of this begs the question, like, what is our role in being completed? What do we do as we are being perfected by Christ? Um, So that's kind of where we're going to go next, is uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10. And Paul doesn't use the word teleos here, but this is the same idea that he's, that he's been talking about, that Jesus was talking about. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed always carrying in the body of always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies we are like these jars of clay we have inside of us this possession of Jesus and he has taken hold of us as well um, and as we move through life we're dealt these crushing blows these Uh, perplexing problems and things that we don't understand, but he doesn't let us go. He doesn't let it destroy our faith. He doesn't let go of us because he has taken hold of us. We are in his hands. It's in these moments, these dark moments, where the spirit is manifest in our lives and in others' lives because he doesn't let go of us. We have this hope that surpasses all of the other hopes of this world. Things that fail, Jesus doesn't fail. 
He doesn't let go of us and let despair crush us because we have hope that goes beyond whatever issue or problem we have. COVID didn't stop the church. COVID didn't stop the spirit. All of these things, God is still moving and is still present. And Paul talks about it later in 2 Corinthians about how his weaknesses, in his weaknesses, that the power of God is manifest. And that's, that's the goal, is it's not in your perfection that God is glorified, it's in your weaknesses, because then people see the Spirit of God moving. It's not in trying to have it all together that he is glorified, it's in your weakness, it's in your despair, sitting on your knees, crying out to God that, he, that his power is perfected in your, um, in your spirit, in your body. His glory shines in your weakness. And it's in those imperfections that God is able to draw us and other people closer to him. Um, it's being real, which is great. Um, that's one of the things I've always loved about our church is I don't feel like we put on a show. I feel like we just come here and we glorify God as best as we can. We love each other. And that's what we're called to do is to just live in the now, uh, to live in the present and love each other through our imperfections. Um, Paul, uh, in, uh, flip over to Philippians 1.6. Here's some, some more grace. Never need any, never, never enough. Philippians 1.6 says, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, is bringing about our completion. It's not something that we accomplish on our own standing. It's something that he is bringing us to, maybe kicking and screaming for some of us. But it's something that he's doing in us. It's not something that we, through a sheer act of will, are accomplishing of our own strength. It's something that God is carrying us through, that he is leading us through. I know we're flipping through Philippians a lot, but hit Philippians 2, 12 through 15. And then I only got one more verse. Philippians 2, 12 through 15 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I love this, this verse because God doesn't call us to be perfect, but to work. And the one who works in us is Jesus. So it's like Paul's getting both of these ideas at the same time because he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And it's not fear, like, oh, be afraid, like God's gonna crush me. It's being in awe of him, to relish his majesty, to sit in his presence and try and grasp the depth of his grace, his love. It's not digging a ditch in your life and trying to fix everything. It's digging into Christ. It's pressing into him. And as we grow in that intimacy with him, he transforms us. And it says he works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's a mature Christian. Somebody who is working 
but the Spirit of God is working in him. It's leading all of us closer to him, into a deeper relationship with him. Deeper is not about knowledge, getting closer to Christ. That's what it means to be deeper. It's to feel that connection to the Spirit, not tangibly, but to just be sensitive to what he's leading us to do, uh, what he's calling us to do, to care about what he wants us to do. And that's a hard one. We're going to talk about some application stuff in a second, but it requires us to know God intimately. And I mean, I, I love kids because they just shout out the Jesus answers like crazy, and it hasn't changed. Like, getting closer to Christ isn't a complicated pattern. It's reading your Bible, it's praying, it's coming to church, it's going to small group, it's getting connected with people that love Jesus because we're called to live in community together. We're called to have these deep, intimate relationships with people because we help and take part in the process of our sanctification together. Um, that's why Christianity doesn't call us to be isolated monks like they tried to be 1,200 years ago. That didn't work. Otherwise, that's what we'd all be doing. He wants us to be connected together as a body. Um, all of the analogies that Jesus uses talking about being uni united with Christ, I mean, that's Jonathan and I were talking about it this morning. It's, it's a command. It's something that we're called to do is to be united together as a body of believers. Um, and then it's through that that he shapes our perspective. He shapes our understanding of Jesus. And you know things that I don't know, and I know things that you don't know. And we can share those common experiences that we've had and grow closer to Jesus together. Um, so let's jump into kind of, so this is how we be completed. This is what being completed means. What are we supposed to do with this? So I've kind of thought of four questions. I'm just going to unpack them together. Um, my first question is, how does this idea of being completed impact my relationship with Jesus? And I've already kind of jumped into this a little bit, but it means running to him. Like, we don't have to be afraid of him. We don't have to wonder if he's going to accept us. He's already, in Romans, Paul says that in our um, sin, he has accepted us. In our weakness, he's accepted us. We don't have to wonder whether he wants us. But it means we press on. The number one goal in your life should be to press in and press on towards Jesus. Um, everything else kind of follows in after that. Um, Paul, when Paul said to work out your salvation, that's an action that we take part in doing. It doesn't negate the Spirit's work in drawing us closer to him. But I mean, you got to pick up the Bible. There's just things you can't really skirt around. Like, that's the Word of God. Uh, if we ignore that, we're just cutting off a leg. It just doesn't work. So, I'm not saying he can't. I mean, God, he is capable of all things. But we have the Word of God in front of us. Um, we have people around us that love us. So, let's draw close to them, and he's going to draw close to us. Um, how does this idea of being completed impact our church? Um, we're all called as saints um, to, to love people, to lead people into a relationship with himself, to be active in our relationship with him. Um, so being connected to the body of Christ, like we are all a part of this. That's one of the things that I've always loved about our church is it's not about who's standing up here. It's not about who's leading worship. It's about Jesus, and it's about how all of us are a part of this great thing called church. Church isn't a place that you go, it's a people that we are. And as we worship together, as we gather together, as we pray together, 
we lead people in a growing relationship with each other. And that's our goal as a church, and we can all take part in it. Um, when I was in high school, I, I remember a few really important conversations I had with my youth minister, and one of them um, was I was, I don't want to say griping or complaining, but I just saw things, and I, I didn't like them in our youth ministry. And it was as I was um, getting ready to preach for the first time when I was 17, white-faced, still get sweaty when I do it, but... Um, I was sitting there talking to him, like, all of these things, like, these are things I want to talk about. And he said, BJ, when you see these things, that's God telling you what you need to do. It's, um, those are opportunities for all of us, if we see things, to enact change. And because this is all something that we take ownership of, it's not my youth ministry, it's our youth ministry. So do something. That's Jesus opening your eyes to something that needs to change, and you can be a catalyst for change. And that's what, what church is. That's what we all are. It's not a place that we go. It's a people that we are a part of. It's people that we're united together with in Christ. And we can all take part in that. From holding babies, some of you, all, many of you are probably better at holding babies than me. Um, that's okay. You all have different parts and roles and things that you can do, different ways that you can love people and connect with people that I can't. Um, you may have a personal way to connect with somebody, and I may not be able to connect with them. I had to make peace as an introvert a long time ago that some people just aren't going to want to hang out with me, and that's okay. I still love people. But it's just, it's just true. Like, that's not a realistic expectation for everybody to love me or want to hang out. That's weird. I'm just not going to stop. But. <laughs> we all have a part to play. You're all unique. You're all different. And that's a great thing. Um, it's not like we're seventh graders and you all have to be the same. We can be different and be God is glorified in our differences. Um, so that's great. Um, this one is a big rub for me. How does this impact our parenting? Yeah. I'm going to poke a cultural bear. And as I'm poking it, if you feel a poke in your side, just remember I'm poking myself. I'm poking myself. Um, so search your hearts. This one for me is hard. I am by nature selfish, and I like to sit on the couch, as I already said. Um, so parenting is hard. There's, there's no way around it. Parenting is hard. I have uh, laughed with Gabby and Warner at small group about how parenting is hard. I make jokes uh, about how uh, awful I am because I want to sit on the couch. Um, but our role as a parent first is to shepherd your kids to Christ. That's what we're called to do is to lead them in a growing relationship with God and others through, through Jesus. Like, we have to connect them to Christ. Um, we are not necessarily responsible for their salvation because Jesus does the heavy lifting, but if you're not leading them in a positive way and showing them the love of God and your relationship with them, you're, you're missing it. They're missing it. Um, and this is, this is hard because I love parenting in the sense that I can tell them what they're doing wrong and like go away, go to your room. And that's really nice. Like I get my peace and whatever, but I'm missing the point if I'm not parenting their heart. Like it's not about them doing the right and wrong thing. It's about why did you do this wrong thing? It's about trying to get to the issue, which is something is broken inside of them and it's helping them see grace um, and love through it. It's not just whipping out the belt. It's talking to them. It's having a conversation. That requires more time. That requires me to get off the couch and have a conversation with my kids about 
why did you do this? What were you thinking in, in your heart? What was going on when you reacted this way? Because it was awful. Um, it doesn't mean we stop disciplining our kids. That, that's not biblical at all. Um, but it just means that we have to dig deeper, and that requires time. Um, it also, uh, this is kind of countercultural a little bit, but Northwest St. John's County, we have this nice little bubble uh, of parenting where we're, we're all kind of, and this is a different kind of rat race, but you have to get your kids into all the sports. You have to get your kids into the, to the best schools, the best grades. I mean, that's why I moved to St. John's County, isn't it? Like the, the best schools in, in uh, Florida, last I checked. So, and it's not a bad thing. I, I'm a teacher here. I love St. John's County. I'm not bashing it at all. But it, it creates this mentality where it, it's no longer about Jesus, but it's about them being connected to all the sports. It's about being connected to the, the best grades, the best schools, like all these little boxes that we have to check. And as parents, it becomes exhausting because you just end up driving from one place to another place. You forget how to eat dinner together. You forget how to have devotions together. You forget how to talk to your kids because you're just baseball, soccer, basketball, I, I don't know, fill in the blank, karate. Uh, I think there's karate around here still. Um, it's been a long time since I've done karate around here, but yeah, it's a priority thing. Like, where uh, your kids absorb more from watching you than they do what you say. So, what are they seeing uh, in your priorities? What do you value? Because um, your your time is one of the best indicators of the, of what you value. Uh, where on the priority list does Sunday church come in? Uh, small group, youth group, family devotions, personal devotions. What do they see? in you time-wise. Um, I, I mean, I, I told you I struggle with this. I grew up playing football, basketball, running track, in the band, um, like marching band. I did all of that in one year. That, that, that was my life, and I loved it. Um, so I, I wanted my kids to have all of those fun experiences, but I also have four kids now. So if I do that with four kids, like, kill me now. <laughs> You'll never see me. I'll never see my bed. Like, what am I doing to myself? But if you have to sacrifice Jesus for those, what are you doing as a parent? What am I doing as a parent? Um, Kelly and I, uh, we've been talking about that a lot lately because we want our kids to do stuff because that's how they meet kids. Like, it's not a bad thing. But what are we sacrificing for that? Um, so that's the question we all have to ask ourselves, because the truth is we prioritize what we value. Um, and I think the, the last question that I kind of asked myself when I was going through this is, how does this impact our relationship with our spouse? And how does this impact our relationship with kind of others? Because it just kind of branches out from this. Um, we need help growing in love and mercy and grace. And that's your, your spouse's job. They're not going to um, you're not going to get away with it because they, like Kelly knows every imperfection, every stupid thing I do, she feels it before everybody else. And she, sadly enough, has to forgive me every time. Like that's practicing grace. It's practicing forgiveness. Um, that's being in an intimate relationship with her. Um, and it's like that with everybody else. Like we, we've all, Jonathan's talked about it, I've talked about it, Gene's talked about it from, from the stage like, we are in a relationship with each other. And the closer you get to me, the more you're going to see that I do stupid stuff. You're going to feel me do stupid stuff. I'm going to say something dumb. Like, that's my first thing every time I get up here is what stupid thing am I going to say today that I'm going to have to apologize for later? <laughs> and that's what 
relationships are about is they are giving us opportunities to practice love, to practice grace, because none of those are easy. None of those come naturally to forget what Kelly has done, for her to forget what I've done, and press on towards what God is doing in our life together, to press on to our relationships with other people. Like, what are you going to do when somebody fails you? Are you going to be able to forgive them and and move on? Are you going to be stuck in the past and let it consume you? And that's, that's a daily practice. Um, it's a, a daily reminder. The closer you are to people, the more they're going to let you down. I'm not perfect. They're not perfect. But, and I, I felt it too, when people let you down, it's like, oh, I don't want to be around them anymore. They just did that to me. That's, that was awful. I mean, you, you always forget what you've done to them, but you just don't want to be around it because it, it hurts, it's painful, and it's hard to move on. But what are you going to do? Because when you really know somebody, when you get past the, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm fine. When you get past that, life gets real. People make mistakes. You see their mistakes. You make mistakes. And you have to forgive each other. And that's what being connected to each other is, is we are all representing Christ together. We are all modeling forgiveness, modeling grace. We're practicing it. It's not even to say that we're going to be perfect as we practice grace. But it's just continuing to love people in spite of themselves, in spite of yourself. Um, Can you show them grace when their imperfection hurts you? Those are all really hard questions to answer. Um, But the good news of the gospel is it frees us from this false sense of moral perfection um, so that we can receive something greater. We can receive love and grace from each other. And ultimately, we can experience Christ's redeeming love and power in our lives and hopefully um, be completed as he uh, is working in us to be the image bearers that he called us to be. Um, The great news is that your imperfections, my imperfections, are opportunities for us to practice love and grace, um, to show grace to people. And it's evidence of God's power working in us. He's working to complete us. The second law of thermodynamics talks about how everything goes back to chaos. Um, If you create something, it's eventually going to die. It's going to rust away like a sandcastle in the sand. If you build it too close to the water, say goodbye. It's going to disappear. And just like us, if we are left to our own devices, we're going to sin. We're going to do stupid stuff. Knowing God is not about being morally perfect. We are created in the image of God. Knowing God is about him calling us back to be image bearers. Um, As we are broken by sin, Jesus calls us to himself. And the closer we get, the more he transforms us, the more he shows us love and grace and calls us to extend that grace to others. We are clay and he is shaping us. He is shaping us and completing us. It's not about us being perfect. It's about Christ's perfection reigning in us and completing us. And I think this is most best cap or shown, I can't think of words, in 1 John 4.18. This is our last verse. And I'm going to close this out. First John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. 
Telios is used in that verse. He is completing us in love. It's through his love that he is shaping and completing us. It's not something that we have to pick up our boots and accomplish on our own power. It's not about your morality. It's about your heart. Where is your heart in relation to Jesus? Because it's through that that he transforms us. It's through his love that he changes us and completes us. Let's pray.